on this episode of In The Rack Podcast. Now I can actually tell dad jokes and I can mean it. Because for years, man, I was just out here telling dad jokes with no kids. I was just a faux pas. Now I'm a real pas, baby. I'm a real pas. If if two vegans are in an argument, can we still call it a beef? If there's one thing you can do for your health today, do some lunges. It'll be a small step forward. Um, <laughs> sorry. What? What you got? In the Rack Podcast, where we provide you with a practical framework for breaking PRs in all facets of health and wellness. We are just a couple of bros giving you the simple hows in a world of complex wants. No filters, no scripts, no rules, just straight talk. Talk to them. Now, let's get into the rack with your hosts, Dr. Chad and Dr. Nick. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of In The Rack Podcast. I am your host, Chad, and with me is my co-host and fellow physical therapist, Nick. Um, and fellow father. Fellow father. That's right. <sighs> yes. Yes. The last episode we had, we um, we were talking about uh, what to expect when you're expecting. We said we're going to drop that. Uh, when Nick got back from uh, paternity leave, and he is back. I'm back. Um, this is the dad's perspective. We don't have any moms yeah. with us today. We're not. We're not going to try to, um, you know, pretend that we know like what that's like. So no, we don't know. Not, yeah, but we uh, we we try to know. We're gonna. Yeah, we're gonna <laughs> get that perspective on at some point. We are actually. That I think we'll add another part to that where. Um, we may have uh, Alicia or Katie or both and see yeah. if we can kind of get the uh, the perspective from the mom side and and uh, give you all like a little. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyways, um, I think what we're going to do today is uh, I know Nick's got a lot of research. As I usual. Lots to talk about. Um, he's new to fatherhood, so he's definitely going to be hitting yeah, first one, hitting the uh, the baby stages, no doubt. And uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit about like you know things that you can do pre-pregnancy uh, as well as post-pregnancy. And yeah. uh, I'll try to give my perspective on my kids are a little older, so I'll try to give my perspective on that, and uh, we'll just kind of go from there. Love it. Yeah. So, so what, where do you want to start? What do you, where do you want to start this conversation? <laughs> Dude, first off, I am so pumped because now I can actually tell dad jokes and I can mean it. Yes. Cause for years, man, I was just out here telling dad jokes with no kids. I was just a faux pas. Now yeah. I'm a real pa, real, baby. Real pa. I'm a real pa. <laughs> yes. Um, so love me some dad jokes. They might be sprinkled in throughout this episode. Wouldn't have felt right telling them on prior episodes. Because I wasn't a dad, but now I am, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm really tired. Um, it's real. You don't look. Um, at, you don't look like it. Yeah. Though. No. I think um, I, I'm certainly getting more sleep than Alicia. But yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, you know, I mean, I think everyone knows it's real, even if they don't have children. Totally. Um, you just don't know what to expect from it until mm-hmm. you're in it. Yeah. Um, but what what we're going to talk about today isn't anything like, you know. I'm going to say some stuff and people are going to be like, oh, it's his first kid. (laughs) Wait till you have three. Wait till you have four. I know. I hear that all the time. I I get it. And this isn't something, what I'm talking about today isn't something that's, um, it's all or nothing. It's the end all be all. It's just things that we can tweak that we can potentially do better as a society to improve um, the lives of our our children. Because the reality of it is, is, you know, they, they can, they can make their choices pretty early. But overall, like it's the environment we establish for them and 
you know, the home environment, the lifestyles, the things that we do uh, to try to help them develop that really, really matter early on. And if we're not um, trying to do everything we can to maximize that development, um, we, we should be trying to do better, you know. So that's kind of where um, Alicia and I, my wife and I took took some deep dives down to, you know, a lot of reading, a lot of learning, you know, in the past couple of years as we prepared for this stage to, um, you know, do whatever we could possibly do to help grow, you know, grow a family, bring, bring lives into this world. All right. So first thing I want to talk about is the, the concept of prenatal vitamins. Okay. So now I know this is kind of getting into the, the mother's side, right? So prenatal vitamins, um, are, are traditionally thought of it as, as for mothers, but nonetheless, um, I, I encourage people to think about why those are now considered necessary and why they are so beneficial. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with our modern nutrition, our modern, um, you know, diet culture, you know, it's really, really nutrient deficient in, in the grand scheme of things. So when you think about that, um, when you think about the process of pregnancy, your nutrient demands go way up during pregnancy because now you have to supply the nutrients for another life, right? And to develop that life. So any nutrient deficiency you had prior to being pregnant is now magnified. So that's why prenatals are so widely considered, oh, every woman has to take them. And they are, you know, have been shown to be very beneficial. But if we peel it back and we look at, okay, well, can we manage this a little bit better so we don't have to become reliant on prenatals, right? So that's the thing here. I'm not saying no one should be taking prenatals because the reality of it is, is our food sources are just less nutrient dense than they used to be. So prenatals very much um, might be necessary, but do we have to be as reliant on them as our culture is currently? I don't think so. So some of the big things in prenatal vitamins, choline, folate, copper, zinc, all those B vitamins, vitamin D, vitamin A, all the common ones that people tend to think about, the big ones for prenatals, choline and folate. Um, our, our modern food is loaded with seed oils. We've talked about that on numerous episodes, episode two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, Pretty so much. we talk about seed oils all the time and seed oils are, you know, canola oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil, um, all those, all those oils you see on any boxed or bagged food, essentially, um, those are, those are very, very high in what's called linoleic acid. And that linoleic acid actually makes it difficult for your body to absorb these nutrients, the choline, the folate, the copper. So it actually strips your body of the folate and and copper and choline and, and, and B vitamins that you actually do have. So even if you are deficient, and you're taking in a lot of linoleic acid or seed oil through seed oils, you're now even more deficient, right? So if you can reduce or even maybe even remove your seed oil intake, you may not have to be as reliant on that prenatal, you know? So those are things that we want to consider. Don't just, oh, well, everyone does this. I'm going to do it. Let's think about, can I improve my nutrition to help support not only my life, but the life of my child that's coming into this world, as opposed to, hey, I really got to take the highest quality prenatal be for my child. I want my child to have the best possible, you know, situation to, to, to come into this world. So I need the, the highest quality. I'm going to spend the most money on this, 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 you know, highest absorbable prenatal. Well, it doesn't have to be like that. Let's, let's modify the nutrition a little bit. Yeah. We'll still take the prenatal to support, you know, and be a supplement, but we don't have to become, you know, reliant on that. Um, 
you know, speaking of nutrient deficiencies, right? Like we've talked about veganism, all that kind of stuff. Vegans tend to be very nutrient deficient. If if two vegans are in an argument, can we still call it a beef? Here we go. Put <laughs> them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I just had to plug that one in there. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's that's kind of my thing on um, prenatals. Nothing crazy. I didn't want to dive too far into that. But um, dads, you don't get a pass on this. Okay, so even though women typically are known to take prenatals in um, our culture, it doesn't necessarily mean dads you have to take prenatal. But think about your nutrition too, because development of your child starts the moment of conception. Right. And that requires the sperm and the egg. So the quality of your sperm will absolutely be impacted by your nutrition and and your um, nutrient density and and your micronutrient content. So if you have any nutrient deficiencies yourself, that can absolutely impact development. So don't think as a father, you get a pass on this like, oh, that's my wife has to worry about that. Not a thing. All right. The big kind of uh, my big message from this uh, as a new parent and going into this whole process of, uh, you know, Alicia getting pregnant and trying to change our environment to be the best possible for our child is as it relates to toxin exposure. So our modern world is just loaded with chemicals and all these other toxins that we're now exposed to. And that can not only, you know, relate, relate or even cause, you know, diseases and conditions that we see nowadays, but it's going to, you know, hack your body's you know, micronutrients, like we just talked about with the prenatals, it's hormones, right? That's going to rob your body of those natural hormone profiles. So toxins are something we all need to think about because it's just our modern world, unfortunately. But the reality of it is, is I hear this all the time from people because I've had these conversations as I've been learning this stuff really over the last two years or so. Um, people will be like, ah, I've been doing this for years, right? Whether As it relates to any, any kind of toxin. I'm going to talk about kind of each big big, um, you know, category of this, but people be like, Oh, I've been living like this or, or doing this for years and I haven't had any issues. Okay. I'm fine with you, a grown adult making that decision for yourself, but just know that whatever you've been doing or whatever you've been exposing yourself to, whatever it is, right. Just take smoking, for example. Oh, I've been doing this for years. I haven't had any problem, but now you expose a newborn child, whatever age to that, that, that smoke inhalation that's going to be more problematic for them than it is for you, right? You're fully grown, okay? You have the the ability to make that choice. As a newborn, they don't, okay? So think about that as you, you know, are are doing some of the things I'm going to talk about in the next couple of minutes, right? They are more, more sense, much more sensitive to all these toxins that we'll, we'll discuss. So think about that. If you're like, oh, well, I don't have any problem with this fragrance or, or this cleaning agent, even though I know it's bad for you, it's got a ton of chemicals, I haven't had any issues. Well, your baby might. Okay, so so consider that. And it doesn't necessarily mean I have to throw it all out, but can I use less of it, right? Or can I can I find a happy medium somewhere, okay? So first big thing with um, toxins, um, just remember you, you can't be 100% toxin-free everything's out there you know you can't avoid it 100 percent. but can we minimize exposure that's the key okay uh first thing clothing all right this is something that is the, the research is growing it's it's pretty scary so you you should for your child at least on them put all natural clothing on cotton wool anything that is a natural product polyester um is just one of the more common um synthetic um, you know, 
things that is used to make clothing nowadays. It's in a lot of stuff. And it's been shown to really, really be a big endocrine disruptor. So it disrupts your hormones, um, notably testosterone. So especially as males, we want to be mindful of that. So when they're growing and developing, they need a ton of testosterone to grow muscles, bones, things like that. So do we want to be putting polyester if we could just put cotton on it? Not necessarily. Now, a lot of sporting clothes are polyester. So there will come a time where your child may play some sports. Okay. And if they get into that, you know, situation, we wear polyester while they play sports for an hour or two, then it's done, it's off, back to cotton, right? So there are things that we can, we can balance it. But think about this. If you have a newborn, right, and you're holding the newborn most of the time, you know, and the newborn's face is on your shirt or something. If you have a polyester shirt now, they're getting exposed to that. So those are just considerations with, with regard to clothing. It would be ideal to put the child in all natural clothing, but then you also may want to change some of your wardrobe based on that. Okay, so those are just things to, to, to consider as it relates to clothing. Easy changes, right? Easy changes. It's like, okay, now I consider, oh, do I sweat a lot? Oh, if I'm wearing cotton, I might be sweating more. Okay, right? Can I find a blend, something that's not 100% polyester? It's a, it's a little bit of a blend, 50-50 or something. Great, that's better than 100% polyester. So um, think about the clothes you're wearing, the clothes your child is wearing. Uh, next one, cleaning agents, detergents, skincare products. These are huge these these also hack your endocrine system, your your, your hormones. Um, cleaning agents, easy to make homemade products. Baking soda, vinegar, essential oils, uh, lemon juice, all that stuff. Easy for cleaning agents. Detergents, there's a ton of better options out there. Seven Generation is a great one for, for people who are like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to wash my clothes without it. Seven Generation is at most stores now. Um, it's definitely better than than some of the mainstream ones. You know, and then then your skincare products, what are you putting on your skin, right? If you have a newborn and you have a bunch of makeup on that's got a lot of chemicals in it, parabens, things like that, and then you're face-to-face with your newborn kissing, doing all the things that we want to do as parents, but now you're just exposing them to all those chemicals from that as well. Something to consider, okay? Again, it doesn't mean if you're going out to work and you typically wear makeup to work, okay, you can put it on and then you can wash it when you get home before you interact with the baby, Right. So again, we can find a, a happy medium, a common ground there. Um, we already talked about the seed oils. Um, that's a huge one. Right. So we, we don't want to be. Um, unfortunately, a lot of formulas out there are the main ingredient is a seed oil, typically, unfortunately. So there are better options for formulas. But also as the parent, if you are a mother and breastfeeding and you're consuming a lot of seed oils, your baby is now getting some of that linoleic acid via the breast milk. So minimize your seed oil intake as well. Um, air quality is huge. We spend about 90% of our time indoors nowadays. That is a whole t- separate discussion. We we need to spend more time outdoors, but nonetheless, can we do things to improve the air quality in our houses? Absolutely. There's a ton of good air purifiers on the market nowadays. Um, some are more, more expensive, some more affordable. Obviously, sometimes the more expensive ones work a little bit better, but if you're just trying to do something to improve that indoor air quality. Um, indoor air pollution has been shown to be much more detrimental than outdoor air pollution. So we always, when we talk about pollution, we always talk about like, oh, like big cities, they have, they're more polluted, but we never talk about the, the inside, right? So think about that. There's a lot of plants as well, um, like a lot of the, the species of cactus and things like that. They help with air quality. So you can always get some, some plants in the house and, and um, you can do a deep dive into the world of plants. There's, it's crazy. But nonetheless, 
air purifiers. You can get some for the whole house. You can just get some that, um, you know, plug into the wall um, at, at per, for each room or whatever the case is. So options there. Um, the water we expose ourselves to, tap water. Drinking tap water nowadays, probably not a good idea. Um, now your baby, if they're newborn, they're not really drinking water, right? But again, if you're breastfeeding, right, you're, you're, and you're drinking tap water, there's a ton of things in the tap water that can be then transferred to the baby. There's this uh, term, they're called PFAs. It's per and polyfluoral alkyl substances. It's just a fancy term for these. They're, they're being dubbed forever molecules, but basically they're just resistant to break down. So once they get in your body, your body has a really hard time breaking them down and flushing them out. So they just there, they may or may not wreak havoc. We don't know to, to the full extent we're finding some of these um, in the research, some of these connections to cancers and things like that. But we, do, we still don't know a lot. But nonetheless, we know they don't break down. <laughs> so probably can't be that good. Most of the stuff in our body breaks down, right? Like all our cells, all our tissues, we break it down. We build it back up. We break it down, build it back up. So you can imagine something getting in there that can't be broken down. <sighs> Might be a little dicey. All right. So um, the, in the tap water, you, you don't even want to know what's in there. If you, if you take this dive and you go into the deep dive of what's in your tap water, you, you will be alarmed. <laughs> there's heavy metals, there's plastic, microplastics, a ton of them. There's even pharmaceuticals. So like, um, residual, um, things from medications and, and, and drugs that, that get into the, um, the water supply they get in there. So there's, there's actually a lot of, um, regions that have high levels of, of birth control in, in the water supplies. Um, that's not good either. Cause we know, um, that could be a separate podcast on what birth yeah. control, you know, what it does to, to women's hormones profiles, but you know, you can imagine what that's going to be doing if you're just drinking that, you know, and then some of the other things are, our governing bodies add to the water like fluoride, right? And it, it, fluoride, even though it can be beneficial in small doses when it's in large doses, like if you're drinking a lot of tap water in large doses, um, it's not great. We've seen a lot of issues in children with, with high, high, um, high levels of fluoride. Um, Chad knows about this one. Um, containers are Tupperware containers. So if you can store things in glass, it's going to be much better than plastic because the plastic you know, the, the longer something is in there, a liquid, a food, anything like that, the, the, the plastic will kind of bleed into the food and you'll get microplastics in that food or that liquid. So if you store things in glass, it's going to be much better. Those microplastics, they're, they're a PFA. They don't, they're forever molecules. They don't break down. We have a hard time getting them out. They're very, very microscopic. Um, so they, they get lodged in places in your body and just um, get in the way, essentially. Can't think of how many times I fed the girls when they were babies and through a bottle. Yeah. And how do you think I heated that thing up? Yeah. I put it in like that little baby steamer yeah. in yeah. a plastic bottle. Yeah. Every time. I know it's crazy. And that's, and that's so mainstream, um, that, that everyone's doing it and, and feasibility comes into play. Like I've experienced sure. our, our, our baby Theo is only, um, he's going to be four weeks this Sunday. Right. So super young. So I'm, I'm very new to this. So you guys can bash me all you want and say, you haven't been through it. You haven't <laughs> been through the, the beginning of the thick of it. Fine. That's fair. But, um, you can always do a little bit better. Right. So does it mean absolutely no plastic? I mean, that would be hard. Sure. Right. But can we be better? Can we have like, you know, we have our glass bottles and then in a pinch, the plastic one's just easier. Okay. I have that. If I'm super stressed out, I'm super tired. All right, cool. It might be easier. Maybe, maybe the baby takes it a little bit better. Um, 
So there's always there's always this kind of give ebb and flow, give and take. Can I find that middle ground? That's that's where we want to be, right? And and the other thing is, is like if all we have is plastic bottles, that's all we're going to use. But if we buy some glass bottles, well, now I have access to those. And maybe if I'm like, no, I'm just going to end up using the plastic bottle. Well, just don't have any then, right. you know? And yeah, it's going to think at first, like, you're like, oh, this is so much harder than plastic for whatever reason. But if that's all you have, you get used to it. You figure it out. So one of those things. Um, this is another big one that <laughs> I've been going on a deep, the deep end on this one is um, the Wi-Fi, man. Mm. The Wi-Fi. Yeah, you're big on so, um, there's a lot of new research on Wi-Fi as it relates to babies. And so, so your, your Wi-Fi, um, all right, let's backtrack a little bit. Human beings, animals, we're, we're electrical beings, right? Nervous system, heart, like it all runs on electric, electromagnetic forces. So we can imagine if we have something like, you know, cellular service, Wi-Fi, that's going to interact with that. So we've seen a lot of this this research over the last actual you know three to four decades. It's been it's been a long time since we've had this, but people don't really talk about it. And there's books coming out about it and all that kind of stuff. But your your body runs on this you know electromagnetic frequency or, or multiple ele- ele- electromagnetic frequencies. Um, so Wi-Fi can kind of interrupt with some of that stuff. It can it, you know um, interfere with some of your body's natural functioning, all that kind of stuff. Children are so much more sensitive to this is what we're finding. So humans have, you know, the capacity to kind of not even feel any of the effects. But the younger you are, the less exposure you have to that and the more sensitive you are to it. So if you got like the Wi-Fi going, you got like the highest grade Wi-Fi you can get from Xfinity. Plus you got your cell phone. You got these Bluetooth headphones in. You got the computer there, like you're hanging out with the baby, you're having fun, but you got all these devices just surrounding the baby. Imagine how much like of this radiation from from all these devices is, is you know, just, just hitting you and the baby. So again, is this something just ditch all the devices? Absolutely not. That doesn't make sense. It's, it's the modern world. We need computers. We need phones for our jobs most of the time. So can we, when we're not using the phone, turn on airplane mode or can we try to use more um, wired, you know, headphones, things like that, because all the Bluetooth stuff creates that, that electromagnetic frequency. Can we shut our Wi-Fi off at night when we're sleeping? You know, so those are strategies that you can implement to modify this, right? Like we're not going to completely avoid it, but we can definitely mitigate it. And then the other thing with that is get outside more, right? So like get your child outside. This was like kind of mind blowing to me at the hospital. So Alicia gives birth early in the morning on a Sunday. We didn't see the light of day till Tuesday afternoon. We couldn't even, and I know this is for safety things and everything. You can't leave the room with your baby. And I know a lot of people know that. I was kind of blown away that we couldn't. <laughs> it was just one of these things. I'm like, what do you mean I can't go outside? With baby? I want to show my baby the sun for the yeah. first time. Um, no, you can't, you can't leave the room. You can leave, but you can't leave. That's like right. baby has to stay here. And I'm like, okay, so we're just... 72 hours we're not even going to show this baby the sun or like the sky it was just it, it was mind-blowing to me i don't know why but nonetheless um get outside there's going to be less of that that radiation outside okay wi-fi rent done um i'm still i'm still going here chat i'm sorry man this you're, is, you're on it. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to interrupt um, you you're, you're on a roll. all right this is this is an interesting one that um i kind of discovered this on a whim so 
uh, Chad knows this, and, and Chad got into it himself. He got into the infrared sauna. Oh, yeah. But I have an infrared light at home. I don't have a sauna. Nowhere to put it yet. I want one in the future. Chad still hasn't invited me over yet. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, um, I have an infrared light. So I use the infrared light for myself. And um, there's a ton of research on infrared light. And the other night, um, Theo was really fussy. We couldn't we couldn't get him to just relax, calm down, go to sleep. And it was it was at night, so all the lights we had pretty much had all the lights off. So it's dark. I'm I'm still like trying to even like figure my way around the house and all that kind of stuff. And then so at night I have a red light on my phone, so I don't use the blue light. And took the phone out to see something. And as soon as the red light, like he saw the red light, he stopped crying. And he just like was like ooh and ooh and on around it kind of thing. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. So of course I hit I hit Google Scholar. <laughs> and I was like, what's up with this? And there's some really, really interesting research in children um, that grind and clench their teeth. And red light actually calms down the, the clenching and the grinding. So it's calming to them, clearly, right? Because we clench or grind, it's usually an anxious process yeah, within yeah. the body. So it's very common to them. And then I was like, all right, let's think about this from an ancestral perspective. All right. When did we typically see red light? At night with fires, right? And what it, what else did that mean when we had a fire? It meant we were probably safe. So like if we were being chased by an animal predator, we probably weren't starting a fire. We were taking cover. We were hiding in the dark, you know, somewhere up in a tree, in a cave, wherever. But if we were safe, we knew there was no immediate threat of predators. We started a fire, right? So it meant it was calming. It was time to wind down. And it meant we were safe. So my little man, Theo, was like, cool, I'm safe. Red light, boom, fire. <laughs> um, so <laughs> in my mind, that's kind of like where my head went. Yeah, you could think I'm crazy. That's fine. Um, but it, it was super, super interesting. So try a red light. Grab a red light. But the other thing, too, is like night lights. A ton of them are just bright, this bright blue light, white light. Right? If you can get a, a, a night light that's either red or more like amber hue, you know, because fire is reddish, orangey, yellowish, right? So that red, those red and amber hues are going to be much more calming. So if you got a, you know, baby's crying, just blew out the diaper, you got to change the diaper in the dark. Like you don't want to turn all the lights on. You're like, all right, cool night light. Well, if we can have red and amber, you might be able to help your baby go back to sleep a little quicker. So give it a try. I like it. Um, last one. This isn't really a toxin. But in my viewpoint, it's a toxin. Because <laughs> I know I'm, where you're going, I'm going to the feet. Yeah. So I always got to talk about the feet. But why the heck do we have these? We sell these little these little J's, the little Jordans, all the like fancy footwear for our little babies. And then people, you know, post their their sweet photos like, oh, check out my baby's J's. Um, all right, cool. Take the picture, but take the shoes off. After that. <laughs> what are we What are we cramming our babies, especially if they can't walk yet? Yeah. Right. But even when they do walk, like there's a whole sensory system in the bottom of the foot that needs to be exposed mm-hmm. to the world. Agreed. Um, so the footwear for our babies is crazy. Even socks, like these tight restrictive socks, like their feet are super wide. Let them be wide. Our, our feet as adults should be probably not that wide, but they should still be wide. But they're not because we've all worn shoes for our life. All right. We're at a different stage of our life. You know, and, and yeah, you may have had foot issues in your past. So you're like, oh, man, I got to protect my baby's feet. No, don't project your foot issues on your baby. Your baby's feet are fine right now. Let let them develop. But um, some cool stuff about the the foot. So your your child's foot is you as an adult. If you're listening, unless there's some children listening, I don't know. Um, but as an adult, you have 26 bones in each foot. Your baby has 22. 
Okay. They haven't fused yet. There's a ton of space in between each of those bones. Okay. So, um, when you put a shoe or a restrictive sock on that foot, those, those bones, because there's so much space are now being pushed into that space, right? So if we have a force on the outside and there's open space, we will compress that space. All right. Your baby grows and develops, right? They're all, they have flat feet when they're born and then they start to, you know, gain an arch sometime four, five, six, six is usually where they have a foot. That's like, okay, that's kind of how their foot's going to look like for the remainder of their life. But nonetheless, um, your baby will go, go through a point in time during that early development where they will have 45 bones in each foot, 45. They just double the amount of bones because the bones haven't fused yet to be that 26 bone foot. Okay. So now we're putting something restrictive on our baby's feet and we're just interrupting all of this magical process of 22 bones with a lot of space transition to 45 bones those will then ossify and fuse into our 26 bone adult foot it's pretty freaking cool yeah pretty freaking cool but what we're doing with footwear modern footwear is we are just ruining that process okay um you know so please 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 if you get anything from this just let let the feet be free on your baby please especially like if they're really really young just go nothing if you got to keep them warm you can put, you know, a onesie that has the, the, the nice, wide, plenty of space footed part, or you can just put some big, you know, loose socks on, something that will allow their, their toes display. Um, so please, don't, uh, don't cram their feet into, uh, into shoes and socks. Just don't do it. Yeah. Are you done? Did you get it all? Dude, I, I got through all the uh, toxins. Uh, you got it. Our world is toxic. I know. It is. It's not getting yeah. any better. Um, I just wanted to hit a couple of quick things, and this is probably going to speak to um, some of the parents out there that have older kids that are kind of in the school system and kind of going through all that now. And um, so my, my oldest is nine, so she's in four gr- fourth grade, and my youngest, my twins, are six. They're in first grade. So what we... have to deal with all the time now is allergies with kids in school and it totally depends on what class it is so one of my twins she can't pack a certain type of food because there's one kid that's allergic to a certain type of food in that class but the other two kids can eat whatever the heck they want right it's just super frustrating because now we have to remember what to pack for each child um, and make sure that that goes in the correct bag instead of packing all the same stuff. And they're identical. And so they're you could give them the wrong thing. Seriously. <laughs> so uh, my big thing, and I've been saying this for years, and I know research is, is starting to back this up as well, but it's like, you know, people always wonder why this happens. And a lot of the research is targeting the fact that we're not exposing these kids to these certain yeah. foods or certain environments, if you will, yeah. you know, um, it's uh it's it's interesting i mean a lot of the exposure uh that research is saying should be done within the first year uh if it's done within the first year you can um significantly reduce your likelihood of of any type of you know allergies wheezing asthma that kind of stuff you Mm -hmm. know um and and a lot of that has to do with not just exposing them to food but what they're exposed to in the household like they say you know even having pets can yeah. be a huge, For sure. um, uh, a huge indicator as to what they develop and later on in life in terms of allergies. You know, so um, go outside, get yourself a pet. You know, it's, yeah. it can be it can be helpful. But if you don't, um, just like you said, Nick, you know, it's okay. Take the shoes off. Get your feet dirty. Get yeah. your hands dirty. Yeah. Expose yourself to these bacteria because if you don't, that's when we start to see these kids yeah. that are having all these issues, and it kind of makes me question 
what the hell were these parents doing with these kids that have every single allergy? You know, it could be one of those things too, where it's like, oh, you know what? I just don't want to take the risk if they have yeah. a peanut allergy or something. So it's just not going to get yeah. anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then it's just elimination and then it just creates havoc down in the future. So, and, and people will often blame genetics for this and genetics always plays a role, but genetics loads the gun environment pulls the trigger. Okay. So if you have a peanut allergy yourself as the parent, you probably speculate that your child has a peanut allergy now, but yes, they might have the gene that's coded for an allergy to peanuts. But does that mean that it's going to be expressed? Not necessarily. If you don't expose them for the first four years of life, of life, and then the first time they get exposed is at four and a half, yeah, the body may react to that. But if you gradually expose them over time, they may not develop it. They may still, because allergies, you know, can still be a thing. But um, no, Chad's right. Like the the um, um, I had some some data I was going to throw in at the end, but we can throw this right now. One in twelve kids have food allergies. Mm. One in twelve. Yeah, that's pretty bonkers. You know, and one in five have allergic eczema, you know, so not they're not getting a full blown allergy to certain foods and, and, and other environmental factors, but they're getting a skin reaction. Right. So it's not like, oh, anaphylactic where, oh, they were exposed to peanuts, EpiPen. Right. No, it's just, OK, they, their skin breaks out. One in five. One in five. That's pretty crazy. Like, you know, Chad's right. We need to definitely expose our kids to more. And, yeah, there's going to be a time where you're like, um, OK, we've exposed you know, a number of times and they're still having this reaction. All right, cool. <laughs> right. That's a real thing. Right. But those, those situations are probably few and far between. Um, you know, I think I, Chad and I were talking about this before we, we hit the record button, but, um, there's, there's some interesting, um, data out there that shows that you have to be exposed to something upwards of like 15 to 20 times to not only like have your body, like almost know what it is or like know what its response is going to be, but for you to actually decide if you even like it as it pertains to food. So all the time we have, Oh, we, my kid doesn't like this. My kid doesn't like this. They're super picky, but we only tried to give it to them once. It's like, you have to keep going, let them play with it. Let them throw it, let them do stuff. Yeah. It's frustrating, but let then if if it's been 15 times and they're still throwing it. All right, cool. But we're not using, we're not doing that, you know, but uh, it, it takes a long time. Even as adults, it takes that, that amount of time. So, um, exposure is everything, you know, and, and gradual exposure, progressive exposure. You don't have to expose them to the whole jar of peanuts That's right. at first, That's right? right? Like put a little on their plate, see what they do with it. Maybe they like it, right? Maybe they hate it, you know? Yeah. Um, it is, it is super interesting, but it, that, that speaks volumes to like what we're doing as a culture, as a society. It's, it's, it's this whole, like, um, everything needs to be sanitized. Can't expose them to everything. No, it's, it's all about gradual exposure. Um, you know, the, the more that we keep um, putting people in a bubble, the, the worse it's going to be. Um, there's, there's been some crazy, crazy data. It's actually pretty alarming on antibiotics. So as a culture, right, as a, as a medical culture, we, oh, just we'll take antibiotics preventatively. Like, we'll do it as a precaution. It's like, why are we doing that? The, the rates of allergies and issues you know post post antibiotics is crazy so children um the average american child is exposed to 17 rounds of antibiotics by the time they're 20 that's crazy yeah, that's wild 70 percent of children receive an antibiotic during the first two years of life so 
before their two, they have at least one course of, of antibiotics. And then 20% of acute care pediatric visits result in antibiotic prescriptions, right? So that's just where we're saying, oh, you know what? Let's just play it safe here. Let's get that. And yes, antibiotics, great invention. They can absolutely save lives, but we're getting too laissez-faire with their prescription, right? We're just like, oh, you know what? Let's just do that. Let's just, let's just give it here. I'm not too sure about this, but um, there's a two times the risk of asthma and wheezing in children who have been prescribed antibiotics. There's a 75% risk of developing allergies. And there's with that specific to food, it's 40% for food allergies, right? And then there's a 20% increased risk of obesity, Interesting. which is pretty wild. And then um, anxiety, depression, which we know a lot of kids are dealing with nowadays, it goes up exponentially per round. So individuals who get one round of antibiotics, it's a 23% risk. And then five plus rounds is 54%. So if, if you know, most child children are getting 17 rounds by the time they're 20, yeah. like that's, that's four yeah. times five plus rounds. Like it just keeps going up. Uh, we're going to be anxious, depressed for sure. Like it's, so it's something that, um, we can absolutely do better. Like as a prevent antibiotics, as a preventative strategy, probably not the best. Like use your instincts as a parent. If you're like, I'm not sure about this doc, you know, maybe we'll wait on it. Like I'll call you if anything changes, but let's not do this just yet. Um, you know, and you take, for example, what's, what are, what's a common thing like a ch child may deal with that antibiotics gets prescribed for ear infection. What are most ear infections caused by a virus? What's an antibiotic going to do? Absolutely nothing. nothing. <laughs> you know, so like, yeah. we're using antibiotics in this situation where maybe we don't know what to do as the provider and we're just trying to give something and it's not, it's not a good strategy. So as a parent out there, remember, we've been doing this for over a million years, multiple million years at being parents. Use your gut that you have instincts there. Our modern world and our modern culture is oftentimes blocking our instincts. Take a step back, use your gut way out risk benefits, you know, for your family, your child, you know, and make the choice that's right for, for your baby primarily and you and your family. Right. So it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. It can be a situational thing. I mean, I didn't want to talk about vaccines on this, but take vaccines, right? Like we have a vaccine schedule. It's like, Oh, children get this by two months, this by four months, right? You have the right as a parent to delay that schedule. If you don't think this is right for them at that particular time, then hold off on it, right? Like it doesn't have to be today. It can be next week. It'd be next month, right? Yeah, there are certain things that that are a little bit more, you know, time oriented in terms of the schedule for a reason, but that's okay. Have that conversation, have that open conversation. You don't have to just be like, okay, we're supposed to do this. Here we go. Give it, give it all to my baby right now, you know? So it, it's something that you can do research. You can ask around and, and look into it yourself and then have the conversation with your doctor. We talked about this before. If your doctor is immediately dismissing that, probably red flag, right? Like if they don't have a conversation with you, probably red flag. You want to get a second opinion, maybe a new doctor. Um, so that that's something you can do. And then there's also like, if your child's getting a vaccine, sorry, I'm just crazy ranting right now. Um, if your child is going to get a vaccine, there's also things we can do in preparation for that to prepare your body, your baby's body for that. So one of the things that vaccines have been shown to do um, is uh, significantly hack down your, your, um, baby's levels of glutathione. Glutathione is the body's main antioxidant. So yes, that will ramp back up, but it takes time. So yeah, is it worthwhile to think, oh, we could 
um, provide our babies some glutathione. Um, there, there's some great products out there that are liposomal, so they're encased in like a fat cell, gets into the body, is highly absorbed. Can we give them some glutathione leading up to the vaccine? So now their body isn't hit as hard by the, the side effects of it, but they can still reap the rewards of it, right? So there are things you can do to kind of help with the, the response. Because as much as we know something like a vaccine can be helpful, you know, and it serves a purpose, does it have side effects? Absolutely. Everything in medicine has side effects. Even supplements can have side effects. You know, even the food in high doses can have side effects. So things have side effects and we need to consider that. Don't forget about that. So something like, oh, I'm just going to spread out the vaccines more as a parent. That's totally fine. Like people are going to say, oh, you're anti-vax. You're, you're the, no, I'm just delaying it for my, my baby to be able to develop in okay, let's take this one and let's let the body do what it needs to do instead of all of this stuff in the body's like fight or flight mode real fast, you know? So um, that's that's just something to, to, to consider for sure. Like we have all these things that we're doing. We can do better. We can do better. Um, there's another example. I, you know, I can bring this up too. Uh, Tylenol, right? Like Tylenol, how many times, Chad, did you hear your pediatrician? I was just getting some Tylenol. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So it's it's quickly recommended by pediatricians. But most people don't know that the uh, number one cause of liver failure in children is because of Tylenol, right? And Tylenol, actually, the side effects, the negative effects of Tylenol result in um, 78,000 ER visits in children. So Tylenol also, like a vaccine, depletes the glutathione. So when you have less glutathione, um, big, big link between low, chronic low levels of glutathione and autism. And now we're at a point, autism has been on the rise for, for the last couple of decades. Now it's, I think it's up to like one in 44 children oh, have wow. autism. Like it's, it's rampant right now. And it's this big connection is not only gut, like the gut bacteria, the gut microbiome, but low levels of glutathione. So, and that's not to say like, oh, if I just give my baby some levels of glutathione, they'll be fine. No, not necessarily. Cause there's other factors at play, but something to consider. And that's what Tylenol does. So Tylenol in a situation where fever has been present for numerous days and it's not going away. Okay. Might be time for it. Um, but if fever's here in within minutes, I give it eh, probably not. Let's wait and see. Let's play the wait and see game. Right. So just, just all things to consider. There's, there's, um, you know, again, we can do better and there's other options. There's other options for, you know, fevers and, and, um, sicknesses, vitamins, vitamin C, D, zinc, those things work. Nasal rinses have been shown to be really effective. There's a really cool um, homeopathic um, thing you can actually get at most drugstores. Um, Ocelococcinum. Have you heard of that one? No. Love this one. So Ocelococcinum, it's um, actually in other countries. It's not widely used in in the US, but in like Europe and, and some of these other countries, it's the number one line of defense for the flu. And what's it come from? Take a guess. Take a guess. Come on, dude. Think think about what I love in, as it relates to organs. Yeah, liver. It, it comes from duck, typically duck, heart, and liver. Yeah. yeah. Okay? So we've talked a little bit about organ meats on this podcast numerous times. They are loaded with nutrients, and we have this, this awesome homeopathic remedy for the flu and colds that is out in the world that is not talked about in the U.S., and it's derived from the heart and liver of ducks. <laughs> Pretty freaking cool. Um, but yeah, like you can use probiotics, you can eat sunlight, like all that stuff. 
Whole Foods, Echinacea, that's another one. Like that can be easily given to children, usually like in a dropper form. Um, you know, people use elderberry, elderberry, elderberry. depong, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mentioned liposomal glutathione. So there are other options out there that you can just have on deck at the house. And then if those aren't working, then we turn to our modern medical system. Okay. So we can certainly do better. Um, our, our, our children are, are struggling right now. We talked about the allergies. One in five have the allergic eczema. One in 44 have autism. We talked about that. One in six have a mental health disorder. Like that's crazy, right? One in five are obese. That's absolutely insane too. One in eight have asthma. And then one in six have some kind of developmental dislike, uh, delay. So this is all stuff we're doing, right? Like we have antibiotics, like I said, great invention, but that kind of resulted in us having this like single treatment medical model where it's like, oh, we have this issue. What's our one treatment? But all this stuff we've mentioned throughout this whole thing, it's all multifactorial, right? So our treatment method has to be multifactorial to combat that. So we have to, you know, consider that as we're going because our children, yes, they're the next generation. But if we are allowing these numbers to rise, one in eight asthma, one in five obese, all those, and now we have a life expectancy that's going the other way. For decades, it was rising, gradually rising. Now it's getting shorter. But now we have this this population of children that are sicker than ever. They're going to be the next adult population that's sicker than ever. Our adult population is already the sickest we've ever seen, right? We have one in two people have prediabetes or diabetes. Like that's insane. So we're we're letting our children follow suit and get just as sick as the adult population. We're trending down a bad path, and and it needs to be. Uh, and that was pretty much the big goal of this. Uh, this podcast and I ranted hard on this. You did. You did. I, I was giving you your space on this one because yeah. I know that you had done a lot of research on this with your whole uh, journey through having, yeah. you know, Theo and all that. So, and again, um, I know guys, I'm, I'm new to this. I'm only a, a month in it. I totally get it. And like, you're like, oh, Nick's not going to stick with all that stuff. Ocelococcinum. Yeah. Right. He's not going to have that. In his. <laughs> it's like, no, that's the, that's the stuff that's easy to do. Sure. Right. The stuff when, when baby's crying in the middle of the night, you can't figure it out. Like, I, don't, I got nothing for you for that. Yeah. Try the red light. I don't know. It worked for me one night. It didn't work last night, but it worked one night. You know, so yeah, you could try it, but I got nothing for you on that. I don't have enough reps to give you any information on that. But can you have something like some of these these things we talked about or change some of those toxic um, exposures, toxin exposures? Yeah, absolutely. Those are those are definitely something you could change. I mean, everyone here knows that I went, I, I changed my wardrobe to if not 100% cotton, at least close to it, on pretty much everything I wore or I wear on a daily basis, um, especially around the house, for this reason. You know, so it is It is something that we can all change. We can all do better. And it doesn't have to be perfect. Just right. a little bit better. Right. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I think uh, I think we crushed a lot of the, uh, the important factors here and what to expect when you're expecting or yeah. after you've, yeah. you've had um, your child. But don't... Before before we go into that, and and we talked all about your child today, don't forget about you, people listening, because you have to take care of yourself in order to take care of someone else, right? So don't forget about yourself. So take care of yourself. And some of this stuff pertains to you, right? Like all that toxin exposure, you have to change your toxin exposure in order to change um, your, your child's, your babies. So do that. If there's one thing you can do for your health today, do some lunges. It'll be a small step forward. Um, <laughs> sorry, I had to, I had to drop that in there. Um, so next time we're gonna get spooky with it, cause Halloween's coming. 
Yes, it is. I think we're going to talk about like some scary, maybe stories, cases that we've had. Um, maybe talk about the scary things that are going on in, in today's world. Um, kind of in addition to what we already talked yeah, about, we just talked about some uh-huh. scary stuff. Yeah. But, uh, I think we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it like on, on, a, on, uh, on a different scale for sure. Um, especially some of the things I'll probably touch on some testosterone stuff just because I've been diving pretty deep into that lately. So, um, that's always good to, um, especially for the men's health side. So, um, yeah, we're going to, it's going to be a little Halloween special yeah, Halloween gonna edition. Get, we're going to get spooky with it. We'll be, um, well, actually, no, we're going to record it before Halloween, but we'll be dressed up, wait and see what our costumes are going to be. They're going to be pretty sweet. It's going to be pretty awesome. All right. I got one last study before we conclude this episode. All right. Hit it. Cause you, you came up with all the research. <laughs> Sorry. This, this one's legit though. I love right? that. So studies say that 20% of men kiss their wife goodbye before they leave their home. Okay? It's fact. Okay. Only 20%, right? Wow. Isn't that crazy? Studies also show that 80% of men kiss their house goodbye when they leave their wife. So, conclusion. Conclusion. <laughs> Want to keep your house? <laughs> Start kissing your wife. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank you for joining us in the rack this week. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. You can also find us online at proformptma.com or on social media at proformptma. And remember, if you train inside the rack, you better be thinking outside the rack.